Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Innocence Redeemed podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and the title of today's show is going to be called Confession and Repentance from Sin. Now, in the previous podcast, which really you could consider that the first part, and this the second, I laid out some sins that try to sneak in and deceive us so as to show you the ways that you might be being tested in your resolve. Now, when we recognize sin, we want to be quick to resolve it with the Lord and come to the understanding of how we could be doing better going forward. And you've heard me say in the past, we need to do better. We must do better. And it's true. So that said, in this episode, I'm going to lay out what we need to do once we realize we're in sin, what the proper ways are, and the ways in which some sins can be better avoided or even eliminated. Now, let me be clear that you can do nothing by your own accord or in your own strength, but with God, all things are possible. And it doesn't matter whether you're in the worst part of your life or what you've done in the past. God can turn it around, and he often uses what you've been through as a testimony which will glorify him. If you'll call on him, if you'll listen to and study his word, you'll be amazed at the transformation he's able to do within you as he establishes himself in you. And you begin living for him, or living more for him if you haven't been. So why should we confess our sins? Why do we repent? What does it show God when we do so? Well, it shows we're contrite. Now, what does contrite mean? Contrite is feeling regret and sorrow for one's sins or offenses against the Lord, and it shows humility when we acknowledge God in this way. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 says, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Romans 3 verses 10 through 18 say, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of venomous snakes is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, when we look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10, through 10, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, what those verses essentially mean is that when we are under the impression we don't sin, or we think we don't sin, that's walking in an element of pride, and we're calling God a liar. You know, we're demonstrating his truth is not in us, and there's no fear of retribution if we continue to sin. You know, God already knows what we've done before we confess it. He just wants us to confess the sin and do better. That is, be aware 
so as to not continue in the sin. Even if we're not sure we've sinned, it doesn't hurt to confess it anyway. It's not the worst thing we can do. And this is where reflection of the heart is needed, and I believe it's necessary to speak to the heart for just a moment. Now, in the previous podcast, you heard me quote from Jeremiah 17.9, which says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The human heart is desperately wicked so much to the point that, if we allow it to dictate our actions, flesh, or thoughts, it can do real harm to us if we don't keep it in check. And do you all remember in the last episode, I spoke of the way in which someone may be spiritually blinded, and I talk about how you may not realize you're doing anything wrong? Well, if you cross-reference the Jeremiah 17.9 verse about the heart being desperately wicked and deceitful, one of the verses you come across is Matthew 13.15, when Jesus spoke to spiritual blindness. You know, Jesus said, For this nation's heart has grown hard, and with their eyes they hardly fear. And they have tightly closed their eyes, otherwise they would see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn to me, and I would heal them spiritually. Now Matthew 13.15 and Jeremiah 17.9 both are cross-referenced with Mark chapter 7, verses 21-22. through 22. And this is when Jesus was teaching about inner purity. Jesus said, For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And guys, today I'm not going to go into the sins themselves at great extent because I've already covered those in several podcasts in the past, including the last one, but if you have to confess and repent from a sin, at some point they were allowed to fester. And when a person sins, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're evil. You know, everyone makes mistakes. We've all done it. Now, if a person doesn't acknowledge the mistake and they continue to sin after the truth has been presented and have no desire to repent and see nothing wrong with it, then that may suggest something. But for the average believer, sin can happen when we're cranky. You know, it can happen when we're tired or even if we're fearful of something. But either way, something got in there at some point that didn't belong. And this is why we're told to be vigilant, and this is why you hear me often close my episodes with, stay vigilant out there. You know, I say that at every closing. And I'm not just referring to what's occurring in the physical, but also in the spiritual. Because guys, I mean, let's be honest, it's a downright battle, and sometimes it can get pretty nasty. You know, when Paul wrote to Timothy, one of the things he said was, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. So how do we train for godliness? Well, we study scripture. You know, we apply the word and faith to our lives and then put our faith into practice. And these are the works by faith, as well as how we conduct ourselves, our behaviors. And I state that up front because some will say, well, you're not saved by works. And it's true, you're not saved by works alone. But it's about what you do unto the Lord. You should care about what he thinks if you love him. You know, if we don't put the word into practice, we forget what we look like when we walk away from the mirror. And that's coming from James 1, verses 22 through 25, which says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, 
and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17 say, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So if we're not in the word and we fail to be doers of it, we deceive ourselves because you can't do everything in your own strength, like I was just saying a little bit ago. And this is when wickedness can enter in, and then the sin trips us up. You know, it's like we're not sharpening our spiritual sword. We become spiritually dull. You know, we're not putting on the armor of God. And if our faith gets out of practice, our hearts become deceived. We forget what we look like, and we deceive ourselves. And if not put back in check, it snowballs and gets us into trouble. And this is why I laid out the sneaky sins beforehand, because often those are the ones that come in in a subtle way. And what's another way they come in? Open doors. You know, there's a reason why Psalm 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. You know, it's a prayer that you can decree against sin. Sinful actions come from the heart. And by giving in to temptations. James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15 say, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. I'm going to share a dream I had and only post it up on the blog just before the release of this podcast. I had this dream a while ago, but I didn't really have a way to put it into its own separate podcast, so This was the perfect opportunity to share it with you guys, and I nicknamed this Open Windows. So the best way to illustrate this dream was that I was in a home with open windows. You know, like how you open your windows when it's cool outside, which many of us were doing in the fall. We were opening our windows. Now in this dream, it seemed as though me and one other person were unpacking. It might have been that I was helping someone unpack fall decorations. I'm not sure. It was that, and it also seemed like there was cleaning going on. I do remember that much. But there was this man, or this figure, and he kept coming around trying to climb in through various open windows throughout the house. And I remember he would try to climb in one window, and we would push him out and say, don't come back. And he had this creepy but innocent voice and was like, okay. And then immediately after, he would find another open window and do the same thing again. And we would tell him the same thing again. All right. You know. And then he'd go to another window. And I think this happened at least two or three times before I grabbed something like a poker from the fireplace and hit him or stabbed him. I can't remember exactly, but I do recall that immediately after, we went around and closed all the other windows. And that was pretty much the end of the dream. And so what I believe this dream illustrated was open doors that give birth to sin and getting our spiritual houses in order. So what did the unpacking and cleaning signify? I believe it meant stripping off any weight slowing us down spiritually, such as any sin in our hearts by way of reflection. You know, spiritual housekeeping. And you know, this reminds me of when Jesus spoke of the returning of an unclean spirit in Matthew 12, verses 43 through 45. 
you know, starting in verse 43, Jesus said, when an unclean spirit goes out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. And guys, that's kind of scary when you stop and think about it, because once you let in that unclean spirit, it's much more difficult to rid yourself of it. You know, 2 Peter 2 verse 20 says, If indeed they have escaped the corruption of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, only to be entangled and overcome by it again, their final condition is worse than it was at first. And so that's why talking about this, guys, is so important, because let's be honest, nobody wants to talk about sin. Nobody likes having it pointed out to them what they do wrong. None of us do. But we have to face these things if we want to address them. You know, you don't want to be sweeping things under the rug that you're doing wrong, and then someone steps on it and it flies out from all sides. You know, you want to make sure that you're understanding what's right and wrong and trying to walk with the Lord as best as you can and as close as you can. You know, Ephesians 4.27 even says, do not give the devil a foothold. And there's a reason why the word says, turn from youthful lusts. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a man can commit is outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And guys, sins of the flesh aren't limited to just being sexual in nature. Gluttony is another because it defiles the temple. And it can become an idol if we're constantly turning to it for comfort. You know, many of us have had days where we comfort eat or overeat often because we're sad about something or we're nervous. And there's a reason the word says don't get drunk on wine. If abused, it can be a form of gluttony. And honestly, alcohol, if possible, it should be abstained from altogether. You know, there's a reason that they call it spirits. Because they are. You know, years back when I was off from work on the weekends, and sometimes on hump day, you know, that being a Wednesday, I like to have my drinks. And when I returned to the Lord, I remember I was in prayer one day, and I asked him what he wanted me to give up first where sin was concerned. You know, I asked in prayer, Lord, what do you want me to repent from? And I remember hearing specifically drinking. And this was kind of surprising to me at the time, because I thought certain other sins were worse, but... What the Lord revealed to me was that it was the alcohol that was an open door, which allowed in all the other unclean spirits that he would have me repent from as my journey progressed. What's another open door? Marijuana. Marijuana is another one. And what's interesting now is that it's being legalized in many states over the last several years. You know, just separately but pertinent, as it pertains to end times, is it any wonder why Revelation 18.2 speaks to Babylon being a hideout for every foul spirit? I mean, it's like I've said, everything that is unclean is being allowed, and it's only going to get worse. You know, first it was for medicinal purposes, but now it's legal for recreational use in many states. And many are under the impression it's harmless, but that's not true. You know, I've heard of instances where those who abstained or ceased from smoking it were subject to attacks or they were subject to nightmares or terrors in their sleep. So it does affect you negatively. And it, just like alcohol, 
can be a form of gluttony, and it can cause gluttony in other areas, such as food and overeating. It also can cause someone to be obsessive with a hobby while they're under the influence. And that's not including the fact that it dulls your senses mentally, physically, and spiritually. So, you know, it's another open door. And where it pertains to gluttony, Proverbs 23, 19 through 21 said, Listen, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way of the Lord. Do not associate with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. doesn't even have to be just meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and the drowsiness of overindulgence will clothe one with rags. And, you know, to get back on point, there's a reason we're warned about pride. There's a reason we're warned about idolatry. Because all of those are open doors to unclean spirits. And we need to close those doors. Or, in the case of the dream I had, it was demonstrated through windows. You know, 1 Peter 2.5 says, And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. And you know that verse right there, that reminds me of James 4.7, which says, So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so then going back to the dream, the creepiness of whatever this creature, this man, or this thing was, I really could never identify it, I just knew something was there. What this thing demonstrated was how evil can masquerade around, looking to be harmless, but intends to do harm if it gets in. You know, guys, Satan's a master of deception, and is trying to lead many down the path of destruction right now. You know, in that regard, it reminds me of when Paul was writing to us about the false apostles in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 14 and 15, which say, For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. You know, many are deceived by letting in these spirits, by letting in the enemy, by letting in Satan or his demonic spirits, and they don't even realize it. So they're fooling themselves, and then they don't think they're sinning. And so going back to the dream I had, I believe hitting this thing was the rebuke, and then closing the open doors. Or, in the case of the dream, open windows. Why would you be trying to climb in a window in the first place? Why would a stranger be trying to climb in in the first place? Think about it. And, you know, it reminds me, too, of what a thief would do. That is, try to climb in through a window to steal something or murder someone. And that's actually what Satan's trying to do. He's trying to steal your soul. And not even just as a thief, but then there's the issue of the way it sounded, you know, like, okay, as in like, I'm not harmful. Come on, just do this one thing. Just do this one thing. It's okay. It's okay. That's exactly how the enemy masquerades around, like an angel of light, trying to fool many. Like, oh, well, that, it's not harm. What's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? But it is. It's spiritually damaging. You know, remember, Jesus said, quoting John 10.10, 10, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You know, we have to guard against allowing the thief to come in and steal, kill, and destroy. You know, in other words, we need to take every evil thought and temptation and surrender it to God in obedience. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And, you know, going back to 2 Timothy 3, if you look at verses 1 through 5, Paul was speaking to Timothy about sin in the last days. He said, you should know this, Timothy, 
that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So, you know, these very sins were some of which I was speaking to in the last episode, in addition to verses 21 and 22 out of Mark chapter 7 earlier. You know, one sin can have the capacity to lead to the next, if we're not careful. And this is what I'm getting at with the issue of the open doors and the heart being deceived, a spiritual blindness. And then it's one open door after another, which leads to a spiritual death. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You know, it determines the course of your life. And you know, sometimes a believer does something, whether knowingly or unknowingly, and we have to remember that God repays accordingly. Romans 2 verse 6 says, God will repay each one according to his deeds. Job 34.11 says, For according to a man's deeds he repays him. According to a man's ways he brings consequences. Job 34.25 says, Therefore he recognizes their deeds. He overthrows them in the night, and they are crushed. You know, it has to be understood for each of us in our behaviors who and what we're a reflection of. Darkness or light? Good or evil? Is our behavior representative of the Lord, or is it representative of his enemy, Satan? This is why I spoke on the spiritual blindness and the deceitful heart when I quoted from James 1 earlier. Because it's so easy to be deceived and then participate in more ungodliness. And, you know, coming to repentance is first reflecting on the heart, recognizing what we've done, and confessing the sin before it festers out of control. Closing the open window or the open door, so the thief can't come in, and then coming to repentance. And so what are some of the open doors? I covered a few already, but what does the word say? Well, Ephesians 4, 27 through 32 say, Do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge or nurturing anger or harboring resentment or cultivating bitterness. The thief, who has become a believer, must no longer steal, but instead he must work hard, making an honest living, producing that which is good with his own hands, so that he will have something to share with those in need. Do not let unwholesome, that is, foul, profane, worthless, vulgar words ever come out of your mouth, but only such speech that is good for building up others according to the need and the occasion, so that it will be a blessing to those who hear you speak. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but seek to please him by whom you were sealed and marked, and that is branded as God's own, for the day of redemption, which is the final deliverance from the consequences of sin. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, perpetual animosity, resentment, strife, and fault-finding, and slander be put away from you, along with every kind of malice, all spitefulness, verbal abuse, and malevolence. Be kind and helpful to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, forgiving one another readily and freely just as God in Christ also forgave you. You know, when God spoke to Jeremiah concerning the punishment of Judah, the recognition of the sin was one of the things he laid out in his case against the people. 
And this is in Jeremiah 8, verses 4 through 7. Jeremiah, say to the people, this is what the Lord says. When people fall down, don't they get up again? When they discover they're on the wrong road, don't they turn back? Then why do these people stay on their self-destructive path? Why do the people of Jerusalem refuse to turn back? They cling tightly to their lies and will not turn around. I listen to their conversations and I don't hear a word of truth. Is anyone sorry for doing wrong? Does anyone say what a terrible thing I have done? No, all are running down the path of sin as swiftly as a horse galloping into battle. Even the stork that flies across the sky knows the time of her migration, as do the turtle dove, the swallow, and the crane. They all return at the proper time each year. But not my people. They do not know the Lord's laws. So, you know, as soon as we've sinned, we need to confess the sin. When we don't, it tears us up on the inside. It grieves the Holy Spirit, guys. Think about it. Jeremiah 6, verse 16 says, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look. Ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, then walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. You know, we most certainly don't want to double down or think that we're justified in some way, because that only makes it worse. That rebellion shows a hardening of the heart, and it only leads to spiritual death if we continue in the sin. You know, it suggests arrogance and pride. And remember, if we don't think that we sinned, then we're calling God a liar. And, you know, you might hear sometimes someone might say, well, nobody's perfect, as if it's a license to sin. And I've said before on my podcast, I've said, that, you know, that's not a crutch. We need to be more conscious about what we're doing. And, you know, it's true we're not perfect, but do you know why? Because when you look at Romans 3.10, which is where that comes from, it's often not taken into the proper context with the verse immediately following, which gives the reason and says, there is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Think about that. No one who seeks God. Isaiah 5.21 says, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. You know, so we need to watch that. We need a savior because we know we're not perfect. So that's why we need to acknowledge him, confess our sins and look for the better way. If we're seeking God, then we understand what we're doing wrong and we understand the ways to improve. You know, if we're not basking in his word, if we're not basking in his presence, we lose sight of how we're supposed to live as Christians. Jesus said, quote, in Luke eleven twenty eight, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You know, that falls right in line with what I was saying earlier about being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. For if we only hear it and then walk away from the spiritual mirror, we forget who we are and we begin to lose our salt, which then breeds much more sin, which, if left unchecked long enough, can lead us to a reprobate mind concerning the faith. We really need to be watchful of this, especially in the last days that we're living in. So, to get on the confession of sin, Leviticus 5, verse 5, If someone incurs guilt in one of these ways, he must confess the sin he has committed. Proverbs 28, verse 13, He who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Psalm 32, verses 2 through 5, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute wickedness, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept my silence, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. 
For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was drained, as in the summer heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Daniel 9, verse 5. We have sinned and committed wrong, and we have behaved wickedly, and have rebelled, turning away from your commandments and ordinances. So that's the acknowledgement. But when you confess your sin to the Lord, you always want to make sure that you specifically confess what you did wrong. You know, it's not just, oh, I sinned, please forgive me. No, it's, it's like, no, what did you actually do wrong? Confess it to him. He sees it anyway, so you may as well. You know, go into your prayer area and close the door behind you. You know, when you do your prayers and you just confess it to him. And you don't even have to wait until you do formal prayer. You can confess it to him when you're just talking to him. You know, this is all where reflection of the heart comes in. Psalm 38, verses 17 through 18 say, For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever with me. Yes, I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Note that verse, troubled by my sin. That's the reflection of what's in the heart and understanding it's not in God's will. And then, yes, I will confess my iniquity. You know, that being the sin that was committed. Psalm 69.5 says, O God, it is you who knows my folly, and my wrongs are not hidden from you. So I was just saying, he already knows what you did, so you may as well tell him, you know, in detail what you've done, if you need to confess something. 1 John 1 verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Romans 10.10 For with the heart a person believes, that is, in Christ as Savior, resulting in his justification, that is, being made righteous, being freed of guilt of sin, and being made acceptable to God. And with the mouth he acknowledges and confesses his faith openly, resulting in and confirming his salvation. You know, it's like I said, you're made right by your faith, and you're saved by grace, but it's not a justification to continue on sinning. You know, this is what I was talking about in that last episode, when I said just because you confess something doesn't mean you keep doing it. You know, it's not, oh, let me just confess it to the priest or the pastor or my brethren, and then continue going on and doing it over and over and over and over and over again. You know, it's not once saved, always saved. You accept the good news, yes, but that means you are then to work on changing, which is practicing righteous living, as you have become a new creation in Christ once you accepted the testimony of Jesus and accepted him as your Savior. 1 Peter 2.16 says, Live in freedom, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Galatians 5, verses 13 through 25 say, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So, you know, that verse read, do you all remember in that last podcast I said in addition to physical murder that someone can kill a person's spirit? Galatians 5.15 is where that comes from. Moving on in verse 16, so I say let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. 
and the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. This is what I was talking about when I said earlier it gets to be a nasty battle. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Jesus gave us a parable about continuing to abide in him. And that's found in John 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. And, you know, if we realize that we're not walking circumspectly with the Lord, that's when we have to confess and repent. You know, you can't be sinning continuously and then thinking you can bear fruit at the same time. You know, Romans 6.20 says, For when you were slaves to sin, you were free of obligation to righteousness. You know, remember, we can't serve two masters. You're going to be enslaved to one and hate the other. And it's the same with sin. If you love the Lord, you're not going to be wanting to sin. He's supposed to be establishing within us. Remember, too, that 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. You know, if we realize 
that we're not walking circumspectly with the Lord, that's when we confess and repent. And now that I've gone over some of the verses about confession of the sins, what's the correct way and what is the act of repentance? The definition of repentance is to turn or renounce that which is wicked. You know, it's to do an about face, to turn from evil. It's a reflection of one's actions and feeling sincere remorse or regret for past wrongs. It's then accompanied by a commitment to change for the better. It's a personal obligation to be more aware of what's wrong so as to keep from doing evil deeds. And chances are you've probably heard the saying, get right with God. And that's essentially what it means, turning your life around for God, putting into action the righteous way, getting your spiritual house in order, you know, spiritual housekeeping. Acts 3, 19 through 20 say, Repent then and turn back, so that your sins may be wiped away, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, who has been appointed for you. Psalm 51, 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right and steadfast spirit within me. James 4, 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Isaiah 1.16 says, Wash and cleanse yourselves. Remove your evil deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil. Psalm 26, verses 6-7 through seven say, I wash my hands in innocence that I may go about your altar, O Lord, to raise my voice in thanksgiving and declare all your wonderful works. Ephesians 4, verses 17-27 through 27 say, So this I say, and solemnly affirm together with the Lord, as in his presence, that you must no longer live as the unbelieving Gentiles live, in the futility of their minds and in the foolishness and emptiness of their souls. For their moral understanding is darkened and their reasoning is clouded. They are alienated and self-banished from the life of God, with no share in it. This is because of the willful ignorance and spiritual blindness that is deep-seated within them, because of the hardness and insensitivity of the heart. And they, that is, the ungodly in their spiritual apathy, have become callous and unfeeling, have given themselves over as prey to an unbridled sensuality, eagerly craving the practice of every kind of impurity that their desires may demand. But you did not learn Christ in this way. In fact, you have really heard him and have been taught by him just as truth in Jesus that is revealed in his life and personified in him. That regarding your previous way of life, you put off your old self, and that is completely discarding your former nature, which is being corrupted through deceitful desires, and be continually renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh, untarnished mental and spiritual attitude, and put on the new self, that is the regenerated and renewed nature, created in God's image, you know, godlike, in the righteousness and holiness of the truth, and that is living in a way that expresses to God your gratitude for your salvation. Therefore, rejecting all falsehood, whether lying, defrauding, telling half-truths, spreading rumors, any such as these. Speak truth, each one, with his neighbor, for we are all parts of one another, and we are all parts of the body of Christ. Be angry at sin, at immorality, at injustice, at ungodly behavior, yet do not sin. Do not let your anger cause you to shame, nor allow it to last until the sun goes down. And do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge or nurturing anger or harboring resentment or cultivating bitterness. Proverbs 4.5 says, 
Get skillful in godly wisdom. Acquire understanding. Actively seek spiritual discernment, mature comprehension, and logical interpretation. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. You know, in other words, don't forget what you look like. You know, John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You know, store the word in your heart, which is God, and be a doer of it, not a hearer only. You know, many wonder why they come under judgment or why everything is going downhill the way it is. You know, they seek understanding for these things even as they're happening. And what they don't understand is that it's the evil in this fallen world. You know, it's the weight of the sin. But it's like I said in the beginning, how often do each of us stop to reflect what's truly in our hearts and turn from what's wrong? You know, Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Note God says, my people. If my people, which are called by my name, if his people are not repenting, if they're not humble, how can he continue to bless the land? He can bless individuals doing his will, as God is capable of doing that while holding others under judgment. But as a whole, he's pointing out the evil, and that evil brings a curse if there's no remorse nor repentance. You know, think about when Jonah went to warn Nineveh. Does anyone remember what happened? We read about this in Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink water. So, you know, in other words, he basically declared a fast. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn, and relent, and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And that's honestly what America needs to do. It's what our allies need to do. You know, the evil has permeated because it's been allowed and the stench of the sins have reached heaven. You know, she's drunk on blood and staggering and much of her people are joining in on the party. You know, as such, she's falling under a curse. And really, it's not even just America, but the sins of the whole world because the same evil has permeated everywhere in one way or another. One such verse that warns of this curse is Isaiah 24, verse 6. Therefore, a curse has consumed the earth, and its inhabitants must bear the guilt. The earth's dwellers have been burned, and only a few survive. And then further, we look at the curses laid out in Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 through 20, which says, But if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God, and do not obey all the commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. So, you know, before I continue, God warned us ahead of time what those consequences would be. And the mistake many make is that they somehow believe the Old Testament no longer applies, and that's just simply not true. When you go on in Deuteronomy 28, it lays out the curses. And we see a lot of those happening now. They've been going on for a while. 
you know, the earthquakes, the locusts, the floods, and so on. But going on in verse 16, your towns and your fields will be cursed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be cursed. Your children and your crops will be cursed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be cursed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be cursed. The Lord himself will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in everything you do, until at last you are completely destroyed for doing evil and abandoning me. So, I mean, is it safe to say a curse has fallen on this nation as well as many others for not only what has been allowed for decades, but what's going on right now? I mean, it looks like it to me. And so when it comes to 2 Chronicles 7.14, it may be too late for a nation, but it's not too late for the individual. You know, any time we have left is God's abundant grace, and we need to respect that. You know, some believe that as Christians, we can do no wrong. It's this, well, I'm saved, and that's all that matters. Wrong. Romans 6, 1 through 7 lays this out. What shall we say to all of this? Should we continue to sin and practice sin as a habit so that God's gift of grace may increase and overflow? Certainly not. How can we, the very ones who died to sin, continue to live in it any longer? Or are you ignorant of the fact that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We have therefore been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory and power of the Father, we too might walk habitually in newness of life, and that is abandoning our old ways. For if we have become one with him, that is permanently united, in the likeness of his death, we will also certainly be one with him and share fully in the likeness of his resurrection. We know that our old self, that is our human nature without the Holy Spirit, was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For the person who has died with Christ has been freed from the power of sin. And you know, when you accepted him, you became a new creation. All the former things passed away. You know, 2 Timothy 2.19 says, God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his, and... All who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. And remember too, I talked about what Jesus said regarding the vine earlier, and there's consequences for remaining in sin and then being grafted out. Don't be that person. Don't be that person the Lord has to discipline. You know, the Lord is being very patient, and if you're being disciplined, it's because you belong to God and he wants to see improvement. You know, he's trying to show you something. The Lord wants all of us to be walking in his ways. Christians can be judged just as much as the wicked. And 1 Peter 4.17 says, For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? So you'll take note that scripture says, them that obey not. You know, James 4.14 says, our life is but a puff of smoke or a wisp of steam from a cooking pot. 2 Peter 3.8 says not to forget that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. You know, a friend of mine made a good point recently, and he said, if we stop to think about it, that would mean our lives are like 0. .0002 seconds, if even that. Even First Chronicles 29.15 says, we are here for only a moment visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon 
without a trace. So if our lives are that short, should we not be redeeming the little time we have left? According to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, we should, which says, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And further on verse 17, Ephesians 5 says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You know, you might recall earlier, I spoke briefly to apathy when I was reading from Ephesians 4, and I've spoken to this a few times before. You know, that's the uncaring attitude. And we need to reflect on that as followers of Christ. We should care about what we do. And we should certainly care about what the Lord thinks because he sees everything a man does. You know, the Lord empowers us to do better, and he empowers us to do so much more. But we have to be willing to take the torch and run this race with obedience. You know, remember, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But the challenge is to live life in the spirit so as to overcome the flesh. So the question is, what are you going to do after hearing this today? You know, as our lives are short in God's eyes, should we not be a better reflection of him? Should we not remember that he is patient for our sakes and doesn't want anyone to perish, but only come to him and repent? Ladies and gentlemen, I've laid it all out here today, and it's up for you to decide who you will serve. You know, we're all accountable to God, and Romans 14.12 says we will all give an account for ourselves to him. And it's vital we keep him in mind as we progress forward in these last days. And when you do, behave as such as that you are doing all things as unto him, so as to remain faithful. Now, separately and on a closing note, let nobody try to tell you it's too late to repent. It is not too late for repentance. Every day is a gift from God. And as long as you're still drawing breath from the air our Heavenly Father has provided, you are still being extended that grace. Don't pass it up. Don't miss the chance. Don't make the wrong choice. That's all I have for you right now. May our Lord Jesus bless you. I thank you for listening. Stay vigilant out there, everyone, and may you stay away from the traps and the open windows. Take care, guys.